Hello, everyone. Well, it's one of those weekends. Well, actually, there hasn't been a weekend like this. But uh, it's one of those weekends where so many things are happening that uh, not enough time to brood on this being my last but one Sunday as vicar and, and vicarette over here. Uh, on Friday, I took the funeral of David. David is a former actor who played in a TV show which I certainly used to watch in the early 70s. One of the saddest parts about that funeral was learning that he had been in a partnership with a man for 40 years prior to his beloved passing away in 2012. And yet, and this is the sad bit, he hadn't ever felt able to celebrate that relationship or let the world know who he really was. David grew up in another age when intimate relations with another man was illegal. You could get locked up, you could have all kinds of weird and horrifying things done to you to try and make you normal. And while the law changed and social attitudes slowly, slowly, slowly eased and are still actually quite slowly easing their way toward the 21st century, many of David's generation of gay people suffered from the massive legacy of prejudice and discrimination and never managed to really come out publicly. I've taken a number of funerals of people who I'm quite sure were gay, but no one could actually bring themselves to quite tell me that. And it's difficult to ask that question. And uh, you don't know whether, how those people feel about it. So many like David lived and still live in carefully choreographed double lives. That's sad. Thankfully, David did have plenty of friends with whom he could be the real David, especially the lovely family who arranged his funeral with me, not his biological family, but really his family. But how cruel that he and his partner couldn't feel free to celebrate their silver anniversary, their ruby, and go on to do more. On Tuesday this week, Holly and Joe, who are around here somewhere, showed the film Nanette in the side hall. Uh, it's on Netflix, just re been released on Netflix, and if you haven't seen it, Nanette, please do. It's an uncomfortable, a very, in places, uncomfortable, enlightening, magnificent film of a stand-up show by Hannah Gadsby, an Australian comedian who announces in the show, in fact, it seems like the whole purpose of the show uh, is that she's giving up that she's going to give up comedy because she now sees that her career uh, based on self-deprecating lesbian humour was really a form of self-hatred that wasn't really helping her or doing her any good at all. There's still plenty of laughs in the show but there's no empty humour. It's real and raw and impassioned and quite angry in places. As a Christian, I found it very hard to hear how the religious bigotry of her Bible Belt background uh, in Tasmania generated such internalised shame that coloured the way she felt about herself for decades. At any rate, David's funeral was a marvellous celebration of a beautiful man which reminded me 
why I love this job so much. In the midst of several conversations afterwards in the British Legion Club in Muswell Hill, someone said, it wasn't just what you said in the service, Dave, it was how you said it. I take that actually as a massive compliment. You may imagine that I would most like to be remembered at St. Luke's for my message of progressive Christianity, and that's true. But even more, I would like my legacy to be one of kindness. Because for me, kindness is what motivates and inspires all my own ideas of progressive thinking. It's as simple as that, really. Try to treat others the way you would like to be treated. It's human kindness. It's the whole thing, in a nutshell, really. If you put it in more theological terms, it's the message of divine grace. God's unconditional love toward each of us. Unmerited favour is how grace is often translated. I haven't always lived this message in practice. I haven't always been as kind as I'd like. On occasions, I've probably missed the mark spectacularly. But it's what I aspire to and treasure as much as anything. Uh, if it says on my gravestone, he was a kind man, I think that would be enough for me, actually. I reckon kindness is one of the most underrated of all virtues. Kindness, we're told by St. Paul, is a fruit of the Spirit. You'll notice if you read the passage that being right is not a fruit of the Spirit. The picture of Jesus in the reading from Mark's Gospel that Hill brought to us is an extraordinarily kind person who had time for the crowds that constantly demanded his time and his energy. He had compassion on them, it says, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. Even when the day was done, when he was exhausted and his disciples understandably wanted to shoo away the multitudes, Jesus wanted to feed them with bread as well as wisdom and healing. The real point, you know, about the story of the feeding of the 5,000 isn't a magic trick with bread and fish. That's really not what it's about at all. Uh, these stories, and there are a number of them, of feeding of crowds in the Gospels, along with the vignettes uh, in the Gospels of Jesus eating and drinking with the marginalised and the riffraff, these form the basis of early Eucharistic theology. And in fact, we haven't got the time to look at it, but if you looked at that story of the feeding of the 5,000, it, it actually is framed around the classic sort of formula of the Eucharist, really. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave to all. And the message is this, that the Eucharist, Mass, Holy Communion, call it what you will, is not an exclusive ritual for the in-crowd. All are welcome, all are included. There's always enough to go round. Grace means no one is elbowed out. No one goes hungry for love, forgiveness, acceptance, friendship. Which is why we have an open table policy here at St. Luke's. Long may it prevail. Offering bread and wine and friendship to all and sundry. Edwina Gately, whose poem Lucy read to us beautifully just then, Edwina Gately is probably one of my favourite Christians. I've never met her, but I would really love to. Uh, she's a Catholic lay worker, originally actually from Lancaster in England, but spent most of her life abroad. She founded 
Genesis House in Chicago, a place of hospitality and nurturing for women involved in prostitution. For some years, she walked the streets uh, of Chicago uh, just being with uh, the women on the streets and trying to help them and support them and provide for them. She devoted her life to people on the margins. Her poem that we heard, Called to Say Yes, great title, isn't it? Called to Say Yes, epitomizes what I'm trying to say here today. She begins, we are called to say yes. We're called to say yes, that the kingdom might break through to renew and transform our dark and groping world. And the final verse says, we're all called to say yes to this God who reaches out and asks us to share his crazy dream of love. I've always striven, really, for this church to be a church that likes to say yes. You may remember that advert, the older ones among you. Um, I, that's always been a phrase that goes through my head. I think wherever it's possible, we like to say yes. Uh, wherever, whenever I talk to ordinance, people are training to be vicars at vicar school, uh, one of the things I always say to them is, a prerequisite of this job, I hope you understand, is that you like people. Because, from my observation, that is not always the case. <laughs> Sometimes, while the church's message is, God loves you, what actually comes across to people is something really very different to that. It is often a voice of judgment, of rules, of conditionality, and so many other things. Most weeks I receive emails from people around the world uh, who have been treated unkindly by churches, by church leaders, by Christians. I've been thinking lately, you know, that if the church, and it was inspired really by taking a wedding in another church recently, and working alongside of the vicar there. And I've been thinking lately that if the church wishes not only to survive but flourish in the 21st century, it really needs to somehow see itself as part of the service sector in society. Now that's kind of a bit of a radical thought to a lot of people, I think. But to, to, to see ourselves in that place, not just because we hold things called services, uh, but because this is what being ordained what being a Christian is about, serving people. And that's not dumbing down the message. That's saying this is what the message is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor and theologian, said, the church is only the church when it exists for others. The more pious will insist that we're called to serve God. But of course, it's impossible to serve God without serving people. And here's the thing. We live in an essentially secular society where people have no obligation to come to church and unless we have something to offer that people want or need and unless we offer that with kindness, the kind of kindness and service and attention that we expect from, say, the John Lewis partnership, people will stay away, you know, or go away in hordes. And guess what? They did it. Apart from the unspeakable pleasure it is to be part of this church community, the thing I like best about being a vicar is that the Church of England offers an incredible potential shop front for God's kingdom. 
In point of fact, we could see the Church of England as this amazing comprehensive national chain, really, of spiritual retail outlets. We could see it that way. In principle, every square foot of this land is covered by a parish church and has, you know, priests and clergy who have the care of the souls of those particular places. Uh, that isn't true in other parts of the Anglican Communion, but in other parts of the world. It's a weird quirk of the Church of England. And yet, sadly, in so many instances, people walk past the shop window without a glance. Or maybe wander into the shop to admire the architecture and then walk out without purchasing anything. When I first began here, I remember it clearly. I said that I wanted to make St Luke's an effective corner shop church, offering the basics well and with grace. I really wish I had another 20 years, because I feel I'm just kind of learning what it's about. I'm just getting started. But I love the fact that many of you here today and others who come here on different Sundays are here because I married you or buried a family member or baptised your children. And there are many more who don't come to church on Sundays yet who see this as their church where they have celebrated good times, where they've wept, uh, where they've come to light candles and so on. But here's another thing, you see, it's not just about me, but about all of us and what we create together. I have the honour of being a face and a voice in certain ways for St Luke's. For example, in this whole hatch, match and dispatch department of our chain store, for example. But you here are the substance of what people find when they come in. And without that, the rest is just a sales pitch. And together we've created something beautiful with our community of friendship and love, with our many talents and creativity, with our collective values and ideas. We're not perfect, of course, uh, but we have something that I, for one, feel very proud of. Yesterday, a lovely woman at a baptism that I took, and I had seven to do this weekend, uh, just part way through, um, a lovely lady said that she could get hundreds of local people to demonstrate against my departure. <laughs> I declined the offer, but felt a kind of glow. The people who don't actually appear much, in some cases, at all, here on, at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, actually care about what's going on here. That, to me, is amazing. Uh, there's part, it's part of this incredible legacy of the parish system of the Church of England, but it's also about what you are, you know, what we have created here together. I'm baptising, as it's turned out, six children here this weekend, admittedly bumped up by a, a threefer here this morning. <laughs> Three from one lovely family, who I might say first came here because I took the funeral of Abigail, Augustus's beloved wife and these children's grandmother. She's here in spirit. The other baptisms are for families who don't appear here every week but in some sense or other come here looking for bread. You know what I mean. The crowds followed Jesus because they had needs and hopes and spiritual hunger that he could satisfy. And it's not so different today, really. David Tacey, an academic scholar 
on contemporary spiritualities in Australia. He argues that if the church is to flourish in the 21st century, it must switch from what he calls devotional worship to become centres of existential spirituality. Okay, well, put simply, what that means is you have to move on from being this inward-looking religious club that only makes sense to the initiated and connect with the felt needs and aspirations of people who otherwise would never dream of coming to church. So, dear friends, this is a beautiful place that we have here. Uh, Holloway, London, the church needs St Luke's uh, to point modestly towards a different kind of Christianity, one which is open and inclusive, not based on dogma, but open to new ideas, not at odds with the wider culture, but trying to be its soul, working toward an intelligent, more humane faith, which is part of the solution to our world's problems, instead of simply adding to them. I've always loved that quote of Lenny Bruce, which said, every day people are straying away from the church, and going back to God. My prayer for St Luke's is that it will continue to be a place where people come to, to come back to God. Amen.